we're back episode two of the podcast things we learned what's the name and, of the podcast oh yes the, the podcast is attack for 20 Great. uh i guess our hosts we have yanji calling krakow champion yeah hopefully tales of aria draft champion yeah i'm the tales of aria scrub money draft. Scrub, scrub money draft <laughs> uh, um so episode two uh we're talking kind of more macro level about uh uprising draft Mm-hmm. And kind of some of the things that we learned from playing the pre-release, but then also we've done a couple of drafts. Yeah, so let's start with like just some things we learned about from the pre-release. So basically sealed. I think the first thing we do want to talk about, we mentioned it in the last episode, but pack breakdown. So at this point, hopefully everyone's a little bit more fi- familiar with the packs, but every pack starts with three cards that are going to be draconic, ice, generic uh, we found that these skew towards generic. So on average, you're a little bit more generic than Draconic and Ice. Then after those three Draconic, Ice, Generic, um, and I say Draconic, Ice, Generic, but it could be like two Generic, one Ice. It could even be two Draconic, one Ice. Like you're not guaranteed Generic, but overall it skews towards Generic. Any permutation, that, but at max you get two. Mm-hmm. Uh, each pack also has two rares, um, or one rare, one Majestic. And then there's a foil, which is kind of like the wild card. And then after that, it's we're calling it the two 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 plus one. So it's uh, two draconic illusionist commons, two draconic ninja commons, two Icelander playable commons. So that could be anywhere from uh, you know, wizard, ice wizard, elemental wizard, or just pure ice. And then one extra of those three categories. Yeah. So a third draconic illusionist or a third draconic ninja. And one equipment. Um, oh yeah, and one equipment. Uh, this actually kind of means if you do the math, you kind of break it down. On average, your pool. We'll have about 21 to 27 Icelander playable cards. So on average, about 24. On average, you'll also have about 14 to 18 of Draconic Illusionist and Draconic Ninja. So about 16 on average of each of those. And about like, like honestly, like seven to like 11 Draconic cards, which is about nine on average. And about 10 to 14 generics or about 12 generics. And then of course, six equipment. If you actually did the math, that's 24, 16 plus 16 plus nine plus 12, plus 6, that actually equals 83, and you'll have 84 cards in your pool, maybe 85 or 86 if you, because um, in sealed, the cold foils, which are actually in the token slot, do count towards your pool. Uh, so our math is a little off there, but like those are just good numbers for you to have in mind. 24, 16, 16, 9, 12, and 6. Yeah, and so in the first episode of the podcast, we said Cliff's notes, if you wanted to just have like a easy heuristic for playing the pre-release or playing sealed in general is you just play Phi. And these numbers kind of prove out why that is. Yep. Yep. Uh, conversely, Michael, you opened a lot of uh, high, high density Icelander pools. Yeah. I thought it was just normal. So I was opening Icelander pools that had, uh, like 15, 16, 17, uh, blues that were just like Icelander playable. And I didn't realize how good that was until like the guy next to me says, I only have six like possible blues that can yeah, be played yeah. in Icelander. I had a pool that basically I could go up to 22 blues mm-hmm. uh, using generics. Um, and so I found out that Icelander is a little bit more playable if you do have like a relatively high blue count. It is important that your blue count are blue count uh, non-attack actions. Yeah. So uh, this is pretty easy to count. You just count the number of blues that are like wizard, ice, ice wizard, elemental wizard, but then you add healing bomb, sigil protection, strategic planning, and sift. So those are just the blues that are just non-attacks. 
Um, and if that number's at least like 14, I think Yanji said like for him, if it's not even 10, it's not even worth looking at. Yeah. Uh, I actually kind of want 14 because like I need like an excuse not to play Fate. Like I, I'm not looking to try to play Iceland or Dromai. You know what I mean? Yeah, but I think um, uh, yeah, because usually how the games play out, you want to have about like one a turn. Yep. Yep. And so you need at least a realistically yep. you need like more 10 or more yeah i say 14 because that makes it so that you have like more turns on average so you'll actually have two blues uh because the play pattern is like i want a waning moon in my opponent's turn yep. and then i want an arsenal blue so that usually means i need two blues you can get away with like a yellow because like if you play a zero cost from arsenal then you waning moon mm -hmm. um but you know then i can't get quell value and blah 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 blah, blah. but yeah uh, so for for me it's fourteen, but I think if you don't have at least ten, like you're just counting the number of blues that your eye center can play. I think it's like you can comfortably just kind of put eye center to the side and sealed. Yeah, and then I think if you want to play, uh, if you want to play Dromai, I think the number of cards that you need to have that are like Draconic Illusionist just have to be like way higher. Like it, the part of the reason why you would want to play Dromai is because you opened um maybe semi vacations necria is i think the one that we agree is kind of like mandatory yeah uh that's like the start we yeah. see a necria we start looking at draconic or Dromai a little bit more seriously yeah and then part of the reason for that is necria is i think the only card that Dromai has that generates ash without really losing value actually mm -hmm. like gain value so like the necria yep. itself is i think worth uh around nine points if you attack for four and they attack back and you have to hit it at least for five mm -hmm. to kill it but then also in the process you generate like one or two ash mm -hmm. and so you're generating like around like at least like 10 to 11 points of value quote unquote yep, yep. yeah like uh and this it kind of pans out like on average you're gonna have 16 draconic illusionist cards and even though you'll have nine draconic cards in the pool almost all of them are just not going to be that good in Dromai, mm -hmm. um, or they're just not going to be efficient. Like, you'll play Flame Call Awakening, but I don't know if you you want necessarily to have a Phoenix Flame in your deck. Yeah. Um, like, you need to rely a little bit more on generic, so if you have, like, a Scar for a Scar, even Red Trade-In, Red Sift, just, like, kind of, like, Red Starters, it, it does help your pool a little bit. Yeah, some but... of the, the Rupture cards are just also just, like... Yeah, they're just block trees. Don't function as well. I yeah, so Drum it's like it's like not the quantity of invocations, honestly. Like yeah. it's the quality. Like you want like a Necria, any of the other invocations. Some of them, honestly, like we don't think are even that playable. Yeah, like Mirror Guy, Mirror or guy. Miraja. I don't know how to pronounce it. Yeah, it doesn't do, doesn't do enough damage, or like threaten enough. Um, Uvia sometimes. Uvia, just, if like... you have no Ash, like no way to generate Ash, is just like. You, you spend two cards and they can ignore it for the entire game and it'll maybe do like four damage. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, it, and so that's kind of like where, where we're starting. Um, I think good, good draw my pools honestly rely a lot on like which generics that you get. So like if you get like Oasis Respits, if you get like... Um, What's it called? Findel's Fighting Spirits. Yeah, yeah just like yeah. things that help uh, improve like your overall consistency. I think like Red Scar, Red Tradens are both like really yeah. good for Droma. Cards that just aren't, aren't embarrassing to play to, or, in order to just have your 29 playables or 30 playables. Yeah. 
because uh, Dromai is just like the hardest to kind of like make work. Yeah. So this is kind of a good segue when we're talking about draft. So draft is not obviously not exactly the same as sealed, but you can also take a look at how like the number of cards uh, exist for like how frequent they appear for each uh, each class and kind of extrapolate that to like how many playable uh, decks there are for each hero. For sure. Um, I think the first thing we really want to do, so we're talking about draft now, is mentioning that there are three less cards in the, the draft pool. Yeah. And it, three less cards doesn't really seem like a big deal when you think about it like, oh, the last couple of cards that you pick in each like pack, usually they're like not that good or, or like you can't play them. <clears throat> but I think what it does is it puts a lot of pressure on you to have playables. So, for example, if you're drafting Tales of Aria, you get three additional cards. You can waste, like, honestly, you can waste, like, uh, seven to eight picks in that format and still be fine, especially mm -hmm. because the equipments aren't as, I think, uh, valuable. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and for those who don't know, the reason why we say there's three less cards in the pool is you have 42 playable draftable cards mm -hmm. versus 45 of all the other formats because in Uprising, there are actually two tokens in each pack instead of just one token. And that's because like one of those tokens can be a cold foil and those cold foils in draft are not playable in your draft pod. You don't have to waste a pick on them. If you open it, congratulations, you got to keep it, but it, you cannot play with it. Mm -hmm. So 42 card pool. Uh, so because of that, we also also think that good generics are a little bit better. Like the generics in this set are, they're all, none of them are like amazing in my opinion. Oasis um, Respite is pretty good. Like Yes, Red Oasis Respite is like, a, yeah, yeah. Uh, that card, especially because of the way Quell works, like yeah. it's one of the ways to kind of really get value from Quell. Um, but most of them are kind of just meh. Like Yellow Healing Bomb is... Like the most middle, the the most mids card, yeah, in but flesh if, and blood, right? Yeah, but if you get it like on turn one, honestly, like that card is kind of influential. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, in in the same way, we find that Dromai and Icelander, in the same way that in sealed they're a little bit harder to build, in draft, you have to commit to them a little bit earlier. It's almost impossible to pivot, especially into Dromai. And once you start getting into the the weeds, you have to prioritize just like playable cards versus cyborg cards. So we're looking mainly at Singe. Yeah, I think cards like Singe, uh, if you're playing Dromai, like picking, I don't know. Icelander. Yeah, I'm saying like uh, like oh, I'm trying to think yeah. of like a similar like uh, if you're if you're in Dromai, like playing cards like um, Sand Cover, which potentially is like really good against Icelander, but uh, sometimes, like if you don't have like ash generators, it just like doesn't do anything. The other major point we kind of want to talk about for draft is this concept that I'm calling 1.5, 2.5, 3.5, and those are just kind of heuristic numbers. So we, this is all theory, but we theorize that every single draft pod, so every 24 packs, has enough cards to support 1.5 good dromai draft decks and conversely that means there if there's only one dromai in your draft pod of eight that dromai is going to have a very good deck yeah but if there's two there's going to be some tension depending on the way you know who's upstream downstream of the other person there could be one really good dromai deck or one like pretty good dromai deck and like one like average but if there's three dromais 
each is just like getting a roughly 0.5 of a good deck, or in other words, each has a pretty bad deck. <laughs> um, for Icelander, we think that the draft pod of 24 packs can support roughly 2.5 Icelanders. So the same thing, if there's one Icelander, that Icelander probably has the most nuts deck. They have the pick of the litter, they're just going to play blues and reds, and it's going to be great. Two Icelanders still can have two really good decks. Yep. Three Icelanders, there's tension, and four each gets roughly, you know, we're using this math here, but it's about 0.63 of a good deck. And the only reason I'm saying that is because it's a little bit better than being the third Dromai. And then for Phi, we think that a pod can support roughly 3.55 drafters. Yeah. So even with three Phi drafters, they can eat, still have good Phi decks. You can still see a Phi mirror in the, in the finals. Um, if there's four Phi, there's tension. Mm -hmm. And if there's five Phi, each gets 0.7 of a good deck. But that's still not as bad as like being the fourth Iceland or third Dromai. In other words, you never really want to be the third Dromai drafter in your pot. It's just like the card, there's not enough cards to support. You're going to be getting sand covers. You're going to have like six sand covers in your deck. Like it's just not yeah. an ideal. You're going to have like all like yellow go again attacks. So the yeah, and blue. Things don't have go again. Yeah. That's just tough. Uh, yeah. You also don't want to be the fourth Icelander, but it's slightly better than I guess being the third Dromai. And you don't want to be the fifth five, but even then, like it's just a little bit less bad than being the third Dromai. Yeah. I think where this information maybe is like a little bit more relevant is uh, we're talking about like committing, um, committing early. Uh, and then so, but if you like commit, if you kind of pick, let's say you open a, a really good Dromai rare, you open Necria, you, you pick it, and then you realize in a couple of picks that you're like the third Dromai drafter. Uh, let's say you get some packs, there's like no illusionist cards available. So yeah. what do you do in that situation? Uh, it's quite possible that it would be more beneficial for you to try to just like switch into Phi because the draft just like supports more Phi's. And then maybe yeah. you can like make use of some of the cards that you picked um, in that deck. You like, you really do not want to be the third Dromai. And that kind of is a good segue into something we, I guess we're calling it the Dromai problem. Yeah. So first of all, this is something that's not going to be a problem in day two situations, but invocations being double-sided, it, it makes for an interesting dynamic in the draft. You People know, like if you're a Dromai drafter, it's like, unless, you know, you have players who either are new are really distracted, aren't paying attention. Like it's like you will have knowledge of who is drafting Dromai. Yep. Because those people are taking invocations. Most of the invocations are worth taking. Um period. Like it's just hard to like not take them if you're drafting Dromai. So I think it's kind of an interesting dynamic. It you know, you meant I know we uh James White has talked about has tweeted actually. I think he responded to someone and he said that's not gonna be how it's gonna be for you know your day two situation. Maybe even your day one calling situations were not clear. Well, yeah, I, I think it's most likely that they they've come up with like some way where it doesn't rely on you kind of like taking a sneak peek at what everybody else is drafting. That's actually a behavior that's really heavily disincentivized. Yeah. It's straight up not allowed. Like in yeah. our call drafts for any day two situations, um, even at the uh, nationals for day one, like judges were coming around and if you, and they kind of saw your eyes are wandering, they would tell you. And I'm pretty sure if they 
you know, had to tell you like more than once, you might get like, you know, some type of like infraction penalty. Uh, yep. So because they, like that's not activity they want people doing, uh, they're going to have to figure something out. But right now, it does make for an interesting draft format where you do know who the dro Dromai drafters are, so it's not too hard to make sure you're not the third Dromai drafter. Yeah. Um, there's also, I have an interesting story. <laughs> Yesterday we did like a, like a friendly draft, and in pack one, or before pack one, we all agreed that every single invocation we open, we're just going to show to the table. In pack one, we opened four invocations. I opened Yenderai, which I think is just like, it's like budget Necrii. Like, I'm so happy it's, having it's, it. It's good. It's not the same as Necrii, but it's like, you know, good enough. And to my right, so who's passing to me, uh, Michael opens uh, Domnia, which I think is like good enough. I'm like, I want to be spicy. I want to try forcing Dromai. And this is kind of the best situation. So I literally wait for the guy who's passing to me to pass to me. The moment I see he does not take the Domnia, the Domnia I immediately take Yendrai, go to the next pack, take his Domnia, and I have two dragons. I feel like I've asserted to my dominance. Then I notice another guy is taking dragons too, and I end up switching out of it. But it's just like an interesting thing where it's like, that should never be a thing, right? I should never like, uh, you got, feel like strategically you got, I should you, wait, you see if he's going to draft it. You got bonuses yeah. for stalling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you're when you're picking, like it's important that you get enough playables. But what about like equipments? Like they don't um, count towards your thirty card deck. Right, right. Yeah, so that's like the next thing. I think the draw my that's the draw my problem. By the way, it's just invocations being drafted face up. Equipments, I guess our our header to this is that your average equipment is better than your average card, and this is a a pretty big contrast from Tales of Aria. Tales of Aria had a couple of equipments that honestly, like, I, 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 I never, almost never presented a full suite of equipment in Tales of Aria. Uh, Ragamuffin's Hat was just a card that's like, I, I didn't value at all. I yeah. never first picked that. Runaways is dead in one third of the matchup. Uh -huh. Right? Like, it doesn't, it can never do anything against Ultim. Yeah. Um, so, the equipment in this set are, are all better than that. They're They're all, like, Almost all of them are at least worth a point. And so that's like the quell, the generic quell stuff are almost worth at least a point. And if you are able to use them with Oasis or Spite, they're worth two points. So the way we get that base comparison is we talk, uh, we compare it with Welcome to Wraith, which is kind of like a nice core set, Iron Rot equipment, right? Like yeah. those equipments were very clear of how much value they could provide. They blocked one, they did it once. Um, quell is a little bit like harder to think about, but it is well, harder to use, right? But it, it it can be kind of math out the same way in terms of how much value they provide. Yeah, well, so I think um, an example that might make it like a little bit easier to understand. So let's say you have a blue that blocks two. If you just use the blue to block two, you're, you're going to get like two points of value out of that card on blocking. If you pitch it to quell, um, let's say like, like with Phi, uh, if you're like most fives attack like three times in a turn, if you use the quell to, uh, and you pitch the blue, then you got three blocks out of that blue instead of two blocks. And so like that situation is going to come up, I think, fairly often. So mm -hmm. your quell equipment mm -hmm. is like netting you like a point of damage. In addition to the fact that like some of the things that like fire, like the fire attacks you with like a phoenix flame, you're just like not going to spend a card to block that. Right. Yep. So that's like a point of damage that you're gonna like kind of take no matter what. Uh, now that you have the quell equipment, you can avoid taking it while not losing any efficiency. 
Um, yeah, for the most part. You do have to identify spots where you can get value out of Quell. Yeah. And one this is a little bit too more advanced, but if your opponent's quelling you, you might want to, you know, arsenal a card instead of giving them that quell value. Yep. But quell is usually one more life per quell. Yeah. Um if you can find that spot. Uh, you know, if you're playing against Icelander, they're attacking you on your turn, and you mm -hmm. uh, just happen to have one extra resource. You can quell. And that gains you one life. That's a resource you're going to throw away anyway. Uh, quell is especially good with paired with Oasis Respite. Yeah. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah. So I think like part of the reason why Oasis Respite, like why we say that quell is worth two, uh, when you pair it with Oasis Respite, is that normally if you if you have an Oasis Respite and you want to play it, assuming that you don't have quell, you're either pitching a red to play it. In which case you kind of like quote unquote lost two points of value, um, or you pitch a blue and then you just have like these two resources left over, and so Quell just like provides you like a way to like uh, maximally use all your resources. So the like what you would have lost from playing Oasis Respite, you kind of gain it back. And I actually think that if you're like Oasis Respite, I think we agree it has to be like one of the better uh cards like generic cards like it's good you can play it in, like all three decks mm -hmm. um i think it's kind of mandatory to have at least as many quell equipments as you have oasis respites so if you i don't know if i would say mandatory but it, they do synergize extremely well yeah i i feel like it's mandatory like i think if you have two oasis respites i want two pieces of, of armor with quell sure and and basically what you're saying is if you have Oasis Respits and you don't have Quell, it's really hard to make those Oasis Respits like value unless you're going against Icelander and you also have an AB. Maybe. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. Um... <laughs> Excuse me. The next piece of equipment we want to talk about is Silken Form. Yeah. Okay, so <laughs> so when you get into um, the class-specific Quell, uh, Quell pieces, which are almost always arms, uh, these are like kind of interesting because they're they are always armed, by the way. Yeah, they're kind of variable, uh, in terms of how how much how many points they can be. So, um, I guess like before we talk about silicon form, like let's talk about heat wave because this is a little bit more straightforward. Sure. Heat wave, you can destroy it to um, you can destroy it to increase uh the power of your phoenix flames by one for the turn. Let's say like you're not playing against Icelander and like the only thing that you're going to be using it for is to increase the power on your Phoenix Flames. It's not too difficult to manufacture a situation where you can get um, two points, at least two points of power on it, right? Either you draw your second Phoenix Flame, you like arsenal it, and then you use it that turn. Or you, you can like create a situation where even if you only have one Phoenix Flame and you have two go again attacks, you can go like go again attack, play the Phoenix Flame, and then break the chain, play the go again attack weapon, get your Phoenix Flame, and play it again. Right. So in that case, like the Phoenix Flame is worth two. And but then like the Heat Wave. Oh sorry, the heat sorry, two, yeah. the, uh, the Heat Wave is worth two points. And that's kind of like how you guys can think about um like a like a, a way to evaluate how strong the equipment is gonna be over the course of the game. But then also if you have like a third Phoenix Flame, then it goes up to three. If you're playing against Icelander and you're like using it for Quell as well, then it goes like up even higher potentially. 
Yeah, if you can like quell one on their turn because you have an extra floating, which sometimes happens, and you get plus two from the heat wave, that's like three. If you somehow manufacture a situation where you can Phoenix Flame three times and quell one, like that's just, you know, yeah. pretty nuts. Yeah, so I mean, like, that's like the most straightforward. Like, heat wave is almost always worth two. So yep. it kind of has like a floor in addition to like, Sometimes it just like as a quell piece, it's just like worth two, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Silken form is, I think, like way way higher variance. Yeah. Th that card, if um, if you're planning to like use it, if you, Dromai has like a has an issue where it's like really difficult sometimes to generate ash, uh, yeah. while playing efficiently. Yeah. Yeah. Um, ash. I've... It's very easy to generate ash when you're playing immensely inefficient. Yeah, well, you're pitching two, three reds a turn. Yeah, you're making a lot of ash, but you're not doing anything on your turn. Yeah, well, let's let's Michael. What point value would you assign to like an ash? Like how much how much value do you think an ash is worth? So we talked about this, I think, in our never to be released episode. Yes, and I gave it 0.5. Yeah, but I think the game values it at least at one. Yeah, I think the game values it at one, but like if you pitch a red, most of the time you're basically valuing it at two. Yes, because you're losing, two, you're leaving two dollars on the like. The way I describe it is, whenever you pitch a red, it's like going into a a store to buy like a six pack of like beer. Yeah. And then you're just like, I only want two bottles. <laughs> I like, I'll I'll pay for all six, but I'll just leave four of them at the counter. Yeah. So like in the in this analogy, the your payment is the card that you're using. That's the cost. Yeah. And you only get one. The beers are the resource. <laughs> yeah, you only get one resource out of it. Yeah. So like, if you if you pitch a if you pitch a red on um, on Dromai, you also get this ash, and the ash, essentially, that costs two. And how much is the ash worth? Well, if you turn it into an ash wing, and you get to attack with it, then you essentially got two points out of it. If if you're, even if you're you don't get to attack with it a second time, if your opponent attacks the Ash Wing for one, then that's worth two points. However, also they've kind of like priced transforming Ash into Ash Wings at about one as well. Yep. <laughs> yep. So it means that like you got to get like almost three points out of every Aether Wing to really be what what I think the game values them at. Mm -hmm. Which is like attacking twice and then having it hit, or maybe I don't know, attacking it three times. Yeah. But anyways, let's go. Let's kind of focus on the silken form, just like the valuation of it. Yeah. So... I think because it it does just have quell, we can probably say it has value of one. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's it's worth like one. The nice thing about silken form is that it's the it's the highest likelihood out of any of the other equipments to get like the use out of both the quell and the activation yep <clears throat> but if you don't have any ash it can sometimes you might get baited into like oh i don't want to use it for quell i want to like pick a spot where i can turn into ash wing and then the value sometimes of that equipment just ends up being like zero for the entire game <laughs> so just use it to quell guys it's gonna be okay yeah and so I think um, I think in like in these situations, like it it can be like very beneficial to just um, 
to have these like numbers in mind that way like you you can like kind of think when you're moving through the game am i am i getting like the value the appropriate value out of my equipments and as soon as i think you hit like a situation where you get the appropriate value you can just like cash it in yeah yeah you might never get that situation again yeah um so silicon form like would would it be fair to say has like a base of one but you can potentially get up to four yeah uh but the four is a little bit easier to get than pretty much the other two equipment yeah i agree um and that four of course is a situation where you have pitched the blue you have an oasis for spite so yeah. you get to use quell and then before the turn is over you also you know cash in the silicon form by popping it and making one of your ash yeah. precious ash into an aether wing yeah. and that aether wing is worth two yep. because it deals one damage and it soaks one damage yeah uh conduit of frostburn it, it, that card is almost always gonna just be like a quell mm -hmm. except if you also pair it with kind of like the helm the horn of yeah of ice yeah. or whatever it's called yeah Gl glacial horns. Gl glacial glacial horns um yeah, yeah. otherwise it's like it can be like pretty difficult to like freeze your opponent's arsenal i mean there, there's some cards that do it uh yeah, yeah. but in order for ice you, bind yeah I, yeah ice bind but in order for you to kind of get like the value out of the conduit like the quell plus like activating it to like use it like you need to first like freeze their arsenal on their turn and then or yeah. on your on your turn and then on their turn you can like pop yeah. it if you do pop it this has like definitely the greatest upside like if you yes. somehow manage to quell and destroy their arsenal card like destroying an arsenal cards worth three yeah, just cards are worth three in yeah. general. Unknown cards. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. I do agree with that. But it's a little bit harder to manufacture. So you'll often just be quelling with this. Mm -hmm. I think the most interesting thing is I've played enough games. Like, how often do people arsenal? <laughs> you know, like, it, like I, I find that the only time I'm really arsenaling is when I'm playing Dromai. Like, I, you know, it's like, it's just, like, I had to have, like, an all red hand with Faye mm -hmm. to arsenal against Icelander. Yeah, yeah. You know because i would have blocked otherwise yeah but the situations do exist so i think yep. it's it's interesting to bring up um i do think that if you ever can create the situation let's say like you hit him with an ice bind you kind of just want to cash that card in even like without quelling yeah yeah agree 100 percent agree and i think the interesting thing with condo frostburn is you do have to activate it before so even though it's instant speed you're not like you can't really trick your opponent i guess yeah there's no like uh, attack reaction yep. um so you just gotta you just gotta go for it like if they might have an oasis respite in their arsenal but yeah. i would still do it because the upside is just there yeah i think really worth its own talking point is sasha sandakai yeah sasha sandakai one resource how much da damage do you think like one resource is worth i think we think two yeah, and I think like the reason why one resource uh, we're saying is worth two, um, that's kind of how it's priced into some of like the better cards to use Sasha Sandakai with. Yep. So an example turn with Phi, let's say you play a one for four, go again, and then you weapon, and then you play like a zero cost, go again. And so now you, you've kind of like done your turn, you've spent your three resources, you attack your Phoenix Flame, 
and you have this like one for five, like a critical strike or a breaking point, but you can't play it. Yeah. If it was a zero cost attack, it would most likely do three. Mm-hmm. But because you have the extra resource, you can convert it into two damage. Yep. And yep. there there's like some other um there's some other permutations like maybe the extra resource, let's say instead of having like a zero for three go again to be like your third attack, you have a one for four. Uh you can like play the one for four and you can grab your Phoenix Flame. Uh and then so you got to like basically like edge out like two two extra points of damage because you had the extra resource yeah i guess that situation i wrote that situation in our notes but that situation is, would have been the same if you actually ended with a head jab so that in that situation only gives you plus one but i think it's just like it's it's pretty easy to make sash of sanikai worth two uh-huh. uh, because if you end up a breaking point sometimes that breaking point is worth five you get two more damage and if you destroy the arsenal just like back breaking yeah um, and it's just like the tempo of being able to push that extra damage that turn instead of having to smooth out your damage in two turns. Like two damage, an extra two damage on a turn where you're just like four card handing them. Sometimes it's worth a little bit more. Yeah. You just could not block that damage. Yeah, I think um, tempo and like the choice to do the damage push. this turn versus yeah. like arsenaling the card and saving it for the next turn. Uh, I think it was like a topic maybe we'll cover uh, yep. a little bit more detail later in a later episode. But definitely the value of like sometimes like when you make them block, if you're like forcing them to like block with a card or two, honestly, like if, if let's say like if I make my opponent block two cards uh, when I attack for five, that can be worth more than like six damage. Yeah. Yeah. Um. And one other piece of equipment I want to talk about. So Sash is nuts, by the way. Like we didn't say that very like clearly, but it's very, very good. Yeah. Uh, definitely pick one, pack one, pick one at bull. Quelling slippers is the other uh piece of equipment. I know we talked about quell being worth one life. Quelling slippers is the best of the three quell pieces. You want yeah. to talk about why? Yeah, just because there's uh when you when you think about like opportunity cost. So if I pick like a quelling robes by choosing to play the quelling robes i'm like not playing either the sash or the spellfire cloak so i'm like yeah. giving up potentially like two damage yeah. um and so and i might make that back with with the quell value but it's just there are no, there's okay there's uh flippers yep and then there's the there's the stilettos arcane, yeah there's the stilettos and both of those are arcane barrier but they yep. don't like intrinsically provide like in my opinion like any like uh real value if you're playing against um if you're not playing against icelander and you can't arcane barrier flippers sometimes you can like manufacture uh value out of it but it's like very rare yeah it's like very specific like you start with like a yellow uh lava vein loyalty because that's the only thing that you can start your chain with and then, then you do the rest uh, yeah, slippers are just lowest opportunity cost. It doesn't compete with other things in that slot. So it's if you know you ha- somehow pack one, have a choice between the slippers versus the sleeves, or the slippers versus the robe. Pick the slippers. Slippers is just it's going to be a more premium quell piece. Yeah, I I would even potentially like pack one, pick one, quelling slippers. Mm-hmm. Just like mm-hmm. I think any hero that you play, like you can just like always just like play that yep. card. Uh, yep. Very yep. non-committal. 
Yep, yep. Uh, and I guess the only other equipment that we should talk about is Spellfire Cloak. It's just like Sash of Sandakai. You usually can get two points of value. Uh, the permutations are different because I send your plays differently, so just trust us. But that's roughly like how we value these equipment. And I think overall, if you think about it, um, notice obviously we do not talk about the headpiece. Headpiece is just Helios Miter. You don't draft that. You just start with that. Uh, in general, the only thing it's competing with is the Glacial Horns, which honestly, like I don't even want to play Glacial Horns in most of my matchups. That's like kind of that's like kind of good against Roma. I found. Mm -hmm. No, can, it's like, fine. Please... Like if you don't like if you're going first, so you don't really need to even think about having a situation where you pop the miter. Like I, I think it's fine. I think but if you're like an Icelander mirror. Yeah, if you can freeze yeah. their ally. Sure. I think that's yeah. that's like the main use. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I guess if you just if if you assume what we're saying is correct that quells worth one, silken form, all these other like pieces of equipment are worth like one to like four. Yeah. Like if you present a full suite of equipment and that's only three picks, like of slippers, a sash plus like a silken form or heat wave, you're presenting like five more life points on average, maybe six, maybe even seven, maybe even eight than your opponent, yeah. right? You only start with 20 health or like 18 health. Like that is like a significant advantage. Yeah. Like it's I, not just a subtle like one point limit. It's like a lot. I think in this format in particular, even like when we were building our sealed pools, I felt like the biggest difference, like if you have like a really good deck, it's because you have like all the equipments. Mm -hmm. And if you are like missing like one or two pieces of equipment, it feels... Sometimes like doable if you can like keep tempo, but like if in like actual like back and forth games, uh, it can make up like the the difference. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, what I do enjoy about it is quell in order to get like full quote unquote value from it, even that one point of value. You do need to like identify the situation, and so I think I like the design of the equipment in this set because mm -hmm. it does reward. Uh, just knowing the format, knowing what your threats your opponent can likely present, and preempting them. Because only real way to get value from Quell these days, uh, defensively on your opponent's turn, is to, I guess, accurately assess and predict what your opponent's doing. You also got yeah, you gotta you gotta commit like at the beginning of the turn. Like if mm -hmm. you catch a blue, it, ha yep. it has to usually be like on the first attack. There's no like yep. waiting. Oh, maybe yeah, maybe yeah. I'll do it. Yeah, yeah. You can't like all of a sudden pitch a blue and quell three times. Nope, it's too late. Like you had to have preemptively done it. You had the extra card. Your opponent kind of sees it as well. But if you've done your homework, then your opponent has to kind of play into it because they don't want to just like not attack you. Okay. So. And so uh, let's yeah. talk about our overall thoughts. Uh, week, I guess, one into this draft format. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um. I guess I don't want to be too negative because yeah. that assumes that we are know-it-alls. Yes. But we don't particularly love this format. Uh, I think the main reason why is because to us, there's really only three archetypes that you can draft. And because of that, the draft just doesn't feel as deep. Like there's no like, I can, you know, I'm in Briar. Yeah. I am kind of just like, waffling between lightning and earth and then i realize earth is taken so i switched to lightning like there's none of, like you commit to icelander and then if you can't you realize you're the fourth icelander you just switch to fey because yeah. if you're the fourth icelander there's no way there's a fifth fey right yeah um well, let's not like 
uh, in terms let's not talk about in terms of like positive or negative but just okay, like in sure. terms of like what what it is that we're looking for as a good format uh, yeah in the format like set that, that, that we want yeah. that we want yeah, yeah 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 um to me actually this format feels a lot like wtr sure um and i know a lot of people really like wtr i think partially because it's not as deep um it's a little bit easier to understand mm -hmm. uh mm -hmm. what what you, what you can pick um like what goes in your deck you uh, there there's a lot of similarities where like if you if you pick like ninja cards whatever like they're almost always going to be good in fi right mm -hmm. and then if you pick like the if you pick like the blue ice cards like you can play all of them in, in your icelander deck there's no like you, you don't have to like uh there's no like feels bad moments where like you are picking i don't know like uh oh, the the thing that comes to mind the most is like let's say you're you're drafting lightning you pick a lightning press and you're playing lexi and then you just realize that this lightning press is borderline unplayable because you can't arsenal it you just like lock <laughs> yourself out of yeah um, yeah and so like those those moments just like don't happen really like you can play like all the cards there's no yeah. like if, if the card like if the card is playable in your deck for the most part i think the only exception is dromai is a little bit less straightforward yeah. but definitely for icelander for fi like if you can play the card in your deck it's most likely good yeah you have a you have a magic set that you compare yeah to so like jumping on that like welcome to wraith similarity even welcome to wraith gave me this but welcome to wraith had four generics per pack so it was a little bit less like you could actually kind of like waffle around in the first few packs yeah. because of the nature of the uprising there's only like one or two generics maybe three if it's the foil or the rare and it's just like you gotta commit early and this like committing early and putting your blinders on and praying like this really reminded me and i don't know how many magic players there are there but ixalan uh, that draft set. So for those who don't know, uh, Magic the Gathering had a set called Ixalan. Uh, it was done after they surveyed a lot of Magic players in terms of if we had like a kind of like a tribal set, what do you guys want to see? And the players voted on pirates, okay. merfolk, okay. vampires, You're losing me. and dinosaurs. <laughs> <laughs> so like, as you guys can imagine, like, when you drafted this format, like, if you drafted dinosaur cards, those cards were not going to be good in the vampire deck or the merfolk deck or the pirates deck. And there were, like, basically not no cards that were, like, really good to, like, flex on. So yeah. you had to commit early. Um, like, you, you know, you could either commit early, put your blinders on, or, like, the first four or five picks, like, take, like, powerful cards of each of the tribes. But you know that you're only going to be able to play one tribe. Mm -hmm. And... And I think, you know, Yandi, you're spot on that, like, this set is very similar to Welcome to Wraith. But even Welcome to Wraith had four tribes, right? <laughs> like, it had pirates, merfolk, vampires, and dinosaurs. I, I but, would like, argue that Welcome to Wraith has the defense reaction tribe and then the everything else <laughs> tribe. <laughs> sure. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. But, like, this set, it's like there's just pirates, merfolks, and vampires. There's yeah. not even dinosaurs to, like... You know hedge your bets on put your blinders on and try it out there's yeah. just three and they're not even like kind of evenly split <laughs> like yeah, there's yeah. a little bit more like you'll have a little bit more potential cards to go with if you go with face fi so yeah. like i noticed uh, just, yeah i noticed that when we we're doing our drafts particularly like um for the players that we were playing with that um maybe it was like i think it was like their first 
time playing this set. Yep. Uh, and they hadn't like gone into the spoilers and stuff. Yeah. I, th- I think we we were sitting at tables where there would be like I don't know like four dromais or yeah, or whatever, yeah, yeah. and and it just ended up being like, um. I think like without like the understanding of how like what the ratios are for like yeah. for how many viable decks there are and and each like average draft, yeah, it can lead to some feels bad situations. Yeah, yep, yep, yeah. I, I, I guess what I think we should end with then is because of the nature of this format, the 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 fact that you have to commit relatively early. Um, I guess I want to encourage you guys as, as listeners to don't feel bad if you end up being the fifth Thai, the fourth Icelander, or the third Dromai. Like, it's hard to pivot in this format. You only have 42 cards. Sometimes you just got to stick to your guns. Yep. But if you got to pivot, pivot into Thai. <laughs> yeah, sounds good. Uh, so I think we're in the process. I don't know. This might be up on Spotify when, uh, when you're listening to this, uh, episode, but we're in the process of trying to, um, get everything situated and, uh, for listening on YouTube, uh, subscribe, uh, we're trying to hit enough subscribers so that We'll have uh we'll be searchable right now i don't think you can even like search for us <laughs> yeah we're, we're never we're not going to be showing up at all on recommended i think we need at least 100 subscribers to just be a real channel and that that's okay we just started we'll get there okay all right thanks for thanks for listening uh i think uh in the next episodes maybe we'll cover a little bit more in detail like um card picks but I know a lot of other people are doing that kind of content already, so we just wanted to give our like overall thoughts. Yep. See you guys on the next one.